collusion and conspiracy. That's what they accused Jeremiah of, you know, colluding with the enemy, the king of Babylon, conspiring to prophesy against the king and say that he would lose his life. Jeremiah was insufficiently patriotic. He was a blasphemer of the temple. He was a doom and gloom prophet, the kind of guy you wouldn't want to have over for dinner because he was a wet blanket. And so the people concluded he deserves to be put to death. He doesn't prophesy in our favor. He prophesies against us. He doesn't talk about the goodness of Israel. He talks about the king of Babylon. He is an enemy of the people. That's what his contemporaries said of Jeremiah. And so they put him in public stocks. They beat and humiliated the prophet of God. And it wasn't enough for them just to do that once or twice, but they did it repeatedly throughout his ministry, because no matter what the people did to Jeremiah, he never stopped talking. He never stopped preaching. He tried to once. He says in his book, I tried to hold it in, but God's word became like a fire in my bones, and it broke out. And so eventually, they imprisoned Jeremiah. That's what you do when you don't like what someone says. If you can't get them to be quiet, you put them where no one can hear them. They put him in prison, and when that wasn't enough for the people, they threw him down into a cistern and let him sink down deep in the mud, and all because he was a prophet. In the book of Hebrews, it says that the world was not worthy of the prophets. Indeed, some of those prophets, you know, accomplished amazing deeds. Remember Samuel, who established the kingdom. You may remember the stories of Elijah and Elisha, how they raised people from the dead. Likely, you will recall the story of Daniel, who stopped the mouth of a lion. Isaiah, the great prophet, put an invading army to flight. But Jeremiah isn't remembered because of amazing deeds. Jeremiah is remembered because he suffered and wouldn't keep quiet. Suffering, being mocked, being flogged, being chained, being imprisoned, being left for dead in a muddy cistern, but being raised up by God, made to stand, drawn out of the mud and the muck and the mire to receive newness of life. The world was certainly not worthy of the prophets, especially Jeremiah who though he was despised and rejected and hated, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, still wept, not because of what was happening to him, but Jeremiah wept. He's called the weeping prophet. He wept over the very people who threw him in a pit. There are few passages. There are a few, but there are very few where Jeremiah calls out to God to have pity on himself. Instead, Jeremiah's prayers, Jeremiah's, in, Jeremiah's intercessions are always for the very people who are causing him to suffer. And that teaches us something about prophets, real prophets. They don't throw themselves pity parties. They don't say, woe is me, I've got it all bad. I mean, sometimes they do. There was that time when Elijah went off in the wilderness and said, I'm the only one left. Have you ever felt that way? But the prophets, by and large, do not lament over how hard they have it. Instead, they lament for the people. They lament for the people of God who have forgotten God's name. They lament for the people who God sends them to. 
See, the truth is that the world wasn't worthy of the prophets then, and the world is not worthy of prophets now. But do you know what kind of God we serve? We serve a God who doesn't look on the worthiness of the world and say, okay, they deserve a good and faithful prophet. You know that we serve a God of grace, a God of mercy, the God who sends prophets precisely to people who are not worthy of them. And that's because God is gracious to the unworthy. He was then, he is now. And so just as God sent prophets to an unworthy world, he still sends prophets. The world in Jeremiah's day was very unworthy. And that should strike you as odd because the people who Jeremiah was speaking to were not people who were far off from the Lord. Jeremiah was sent to the people of Judah. He prophesied at the time of the end of the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom. In Jeremiah's day, there was certainly opposition outside of Israel. There's always opposition outside of the church. But what Jeremiah especially faced was opposition within the household of God. You heard it put this way. There were all kinds of false prophets who were prophesying dreams, wispy visions, straw, Jeremiah said. There were all kinds of teachers and people in Israel who were very willing to overlook the sins of the people, to say, you know what, you can completely forget about God and it's going to be okay because we've got the temple. You can overlook the Lord's word and it's going to be okay because we have the priests and the sacrifices and that's a get out of jail free card, right? In Jeremiah's day, the opposition, the unworthiness, was not simply the world outside. The unworthiness had crept into God's own people. And if that sounds hard to imagine, then only remember when the one who is greater than Jeremiah came. When Jesus came as the ultimate prophet of God, he came to a world just like Jeremiah's world. He came to the people of God, to those who should have known better, and what did he find? The very same things Jeremiah found. People who had taken the message of God's grace and his mercy and had supposed that that meant they had the get-out-of-jail-free card. You know how Jesus preached and how he proclaimed. You heard his warning in the Sermon on the Mount today, beware of false prophets. And you should know, most of you know this, who he had especially in mind. The false prophets of Jesus' day were not the prophets of Baal. They were not the prophets of some far-off place. The false prophets in Jesus' day were the teachers of Israel. It was the Pharisees and the scribes. It was the priests in the temple who were filling God's people with lies. And if that still sounds hard to believe, then only consider the state of things in the world you live in. Our world is not that different than Jeremiah. Now, we aren't being thrown down into a cistern or into the mud. We aren't being nailed to a cross. But the world uh, that we live in is one very much like Jeremiah's world and Jesus' world because it's all God's world, right? And so we look around at the state of things today and we see certainly outside the church opposition to God's word. That's no surprise. But we see even within the church malaise apathy. People whose eyes and hearts and ears are glazed over and dull to what God says. And all the while, there are prophets, right? There are people who will stand up and say, it's all okay. It's all good. It's all 
just fine. Peace, peace, where there is no peace. The world is not worthy of prophets. But see, God has always known that. And God is gracious and merciful, and so he sends prophets precisely to an unworthy world. Now, what do prophets do? You should know a little bit about what it means to be a prophet, because what I'm going to suggest to you today, what I'm going to tell you, it's not a suggestion, what I'm going to tell you is that you are the prophets. But you have to know what prophets do. See, when we think of prophets, we think of kind of wild and crazy people like Jeremiah, right, who get thrown in cisterns and pits, and we say, no thanks, <laughs> I'd rather not. Or maybe we think of, right, um, guys who predict the future, right? Prediction is often what people think when they hear prophecy. And there is an element to that in the prophets, The prophets of old predicted the coming of Christ. They predicted his suffering. They predicted his resurrection. They predicted the gospel going out into the world. But that was only a portion of what they did. What prophets do is they stand in the council of God. They are council members. You heard that in Jeremiah's reading. He said, if the false prophets had actually stood in my council... Right? If the false prophets had really stood in my counsel, and I want you to have that picture in your minds today. To be a prophet means that you stand in the counsel of God. And what you do in that counsel is three things. First of all, you be quiet. <laughs> right? Imagine if the president, well, imagine if a president called you and said, I've got a, I, I need you on my counsel. I need you to come to the White House. I need you to move to Washington, D.C. because I need your advice. I need your help. It would be a great honor, wouldn't it? Put aside your feelings about the current president and just consider the honor of being a council member. You would be in a position where you could influence all kinds of things, right? But first, you have to listen. That's first and foremost the role of a prophet, to stand in the council of God and to listen. Suppose, right, that scenario, you get called to the White House and you've got all kinds of ideas. I know most of you, so I know you have all kinds of ideas about how you could make things better. What would happen if you burst into the White House, you sat down in the Oval Office, you pulled out your notebook and you said, all right, here's 20 things we need to do. Everyone in that room would look at you and say, who are you again? Why should we listen to you? And you would say, well, because I know better. (laughs) But try that in the counsel of God. Right? And you know what you'll find? You'll find angels looking at you and saying, who asked you? And you'll find the Lord of hosts himself saying, I know you have a lot of ideas. I know you have lots of plans and hopes and dreams, but just listen. Just listen to my words. See, that's the prerequisite for being a prophet. You have to be able to listen to quiet yourself, to quiet your heart and your mind and all your hopes and all your dreams, and just to listen to the counsel of the Lord. And once you've listened, then, yes, you can speak. See, the prophets of old weren't just sitting there in the counsel of God and receiving the word. They also wept. They interceded. They prayed to God. Maybe the best example of this is Abraham. Remember the story of Abraham, how God was going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they surely deserved it. But what did Abraham do? He interceded again and again and again and again in the counsel of God, and God listened to Abraham. 
See, God wants his prophets to actually give advice. God doesn't want you just to sit in church and to hear everything and be only receptive. God doesn't want you to be a couch potato, put it that way. He doesn't want you to be a bump on the log. He wants you to listen so that you may respond. That's what prophets do. Secondly, they listen, they intercede, and thirdly, they are sent. They are sent to go out and to speak what they have heard. Now, the prophets in Jeremiah's day, the teachers of Israel, they were good at that third part, right? They were good at speaking, and they were really good at speaking the kinds of things that people wanted to hear. So here's how the message went in Jeremiah's day. All right, the king of Babylon is coming against us, but we're going to win. All right, the king of Babylon has come and he's wiped us out, but we're only going to be in exile for like two years, okay? So just relax. It's all going to be over really quickly. They prophesied hopes and dreams and the kind of thing that people liked to hear. It's all going to be okay. Everything is fine. Don't worry, you don't have to suffer much. God won't really discipline you. Don't worry, God never punishes anybody. Not really. I mean, maybe that happened long ago, but it doesn't happen anymore. Just relax, take it easy. Everything's going to be okay. It's the kind of message that itching ears like to hear. But the Lord sent Jeremiah to speak his word to his people, to stand in his counsel, to intercede for the people. And even if God didn't listen to Jeremiah, Jeremiah still prayed for the very people who would throw him into a pit. See, prophets suffer. They suffer for those who they are sent to. And that is most evident in our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus has come into this world as the prophet of all prophets. And he comes into this world to bring us the Father's word. He comes into this world to intercede for us, right? To weep on behalf of the people and even to suffer in our place. Jesus stands in the council of God, and you can think of Mount Calvary here. Jesus offers himself there on the cross in place of the very people who nailed him to the tree. What did he say? Father, forgive them. That's hard to say, isn't it? That's hard to do when people are mocking you, when people are putting nails in your hands. I've never suffered that much, but even when I perceive some kind of slight, it's really hard for me not to think, let's get them back, God. Let's get our enemies. But Jesus shows us the real path of the prophet who weeps over the people who crucify him. And Jesus calls you into his counsel. We have this idea, don't we, that prophets are a thing of the past. We have this idea that, you know, the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, they have ceased to speak. And on the one hand, that's true. But it's not completely true. Because what God does now is he pours his spirit out on all of God's people, right? It's even better now than it was in the days of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all those other guys. Because now the Lord does not say, just one of you will be the prophet. No, now the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your old men and your young men shall see visions and dream faithful dreams. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost, and that's still what happens in the church. We are a community of prophets. And when you come into this place, do you know what you come to do? It's better than being called to Washington, D.C. and to go into the Oval Office. Here, in this place, God calls you into his counsel. And first, you have to listen, don't you? 
First, you have to set aside all the hopes and all the dreams and all the thoughts and all the things that you think should be happening in the world. And you have to listen to the word of the Lord. Then you have to pray for the very people, for the very people who make your life difficult, for people outside of the church and for people within the church. That's the role of a prophet. You are to listen and you are to pray, to intercede, to weep if you have to on behalf of the world. And then you are sent out to speak, to speak of the wisdom that God has put in you, to speak of the counsel that you have received. And if you think that's some kind of a small thing, you're thinking about it all wrong, right? You're thinking about the important things like, you know, the world thinks about them. Who are the important figures in the world? People who are in bureaucracies, right? People who sit in oval offices. But in God's world, in the real world, it is his prophets who he defends. It is his prophets who shape the world. It is his prophets, and you are one of them, whether you are a man or a woman, an old man or a young man, whoever you are. If you are a Christian, then you are a prophet. Pastors aren't the only prophets. Pastors are certainly prophets, but all of God's people are called to be prophets. And I think this morning we have to take seriously, we have to take seriously that we have not lived up to that calling. We look around at the world and we say, somebody should do something about it, right? Somebody should fix the problems. And if only someone would call me and invite me to Washington or to Frankfurt or wherever in Paducah, then maybe something good would happen. I got a new message for you. Nobody's coming to save you, except the Holy Spirit, right? You are the prophets, right? The church is the prophet. And if we swallow God's word and we are afraid to speak because, you know, what might happen? People might think we're kind of weird. People might think we're kind of strange. That's okay. They thought that about Jeremiah, right? Collusion with the enemy. Conspiracy against God's people. Insufficiently patriotic. Deserving of death. Let them say those things. That doesn't change what we are called to do. You are called to go out into the world with wheat, right? The world is full of dreams and lies, what, I, what Jeremiah calls straw. But the world is dying for something better. The world is dying for wheat, and you have it. You have the bread of life. You know the bread of life. You may not be able to predict the future, but guess what? You don't have to. You go out into the world to speak God's word, to his people, to remind them again that there is a God in heaven, that there is forgiveness for sin, that repentance is actually possible, that there is a God who raises the dead. That's the message that changed the world in Jeremiah's day. That's the reality that changed the world in Jesus' day. And that is the message that has to go out in our time. And it has to go out through you. Because if you don't speak, If you don't say the wisdom that you have, if you don't bring wheat into the world, guess what? Someone else will. And what they will fill the world with is empty dreams. I have a dream. I have a dream. And you know what kind of dream it is? It's the kind of dream that's straw. And people will try to eat that straw, and you know what will happen to them? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They'll get sick, they'll get weak, like our world is getting, and they'll be dying for someone to come along and give them real bread. You have it. You have it in spades. 
So come into the counsel of the Lord, quiet your heart today, listen to his word. If you're not familiar with God's word, then study his word. Come to Bible class. We have the whole counsel of God completed, written, translated, so that you can read it. And guess what? I can get you a Bible if you need one. Hear that word. Intercede for those who need your intercession, and then go into the world and speak of the hope that you have. Because it just might happen, it just might happen that you speak fire into a world. And you know where there is fire, there is life. Fire brings warmth, it brings energy, it brings joy, it brings community. People gather around fires, right? That's what will happen when the people of God take up this great task, this great calling to be prophets. The world's not worthy of prophets, but that never stopped God from sending them long ago, and it won't stop him from sending you now. To him be the glory now and forever. Amen.